Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, European football expert Kevin Hatchard and Trevor Sinclair, the former England winger, ahead of England's first European Championship semi-final in 25 years. Each game is going to bring up a different challenge and more importantly, your substitutions and utilisation of them are going to be very important. Do it for Gaza, do it for Sir Bobby, do it for Psycho Chrissy Waddle, do it for Frank. Come on England, it's payback time. In these type of games, you've got to impose yourselves and, and make something happen. If it's not your night, make it your night. It's a big, big point for Scotland. It's a night of immense frustration for England. I just wonder if Jack Grealish is going to be England's Paul Gascoigne from Euro 96. Grealish now, faced up by two, chips it in towards the far post and it's headed in. What a start from England. Raheem Sterling does it again. England have only got through the group stage of one major tournament in their history without conceding a goal. That was the 1966 World Cup. Show your character against old foes in new times. It's time to make memories, make history and make the quarterfinals of a tournament. 1-0 to England with Sterling on the score sheet is a recipe for success. Raheem Sterling's the one that you want to talk about. He's got to be a candidate for player of the tournament. Grealish, Kane, 2-0 England, bring on the quarterfinals. And do not underestimate what Gareth Southgate has done tactically. I'll say it, this was a masterclass. We know the quality we've got in the changing room. And to a man, we know that we can beat anyone on our day and, you know, we're going to be ready for whatever's next to come. We've talked about creating those moments, but we have a chance to create another one on uh, in Rome. You know, we're intent on doing that. Found Raheem Sterling. Add all to the left-hand side. Chipped in by Shaw. There is goal number three. Harry Kane again. That's just part and parcel of being a striker. You have to be ready for the next opportunity, and I'll be ready again on Wednesday. Oh, some of the headlines and comment pieces in the English papers over the last couple of days sum up a range of emotions, really. Uh, Arsene Wenger has uh, labelled England super favourites. Semi-gods was a familiar banner. Uh, even Le Keep, the French daily, splashed God save the cane. Uh, Gazetta, Hurricane, uh, <laughs> Hurricane Kane, it said. It was difficult for me to say. Uh, before we look back at uh, Ukraine with Kevin Hatchard and Trevor Sinclair and look ahead uh, to the Denmark semi-final, I want you both to answer this. Look, Denmark are a good side. Um, they performed very well against England in the last 12 months, two matches against them. They beat us at uh, Wembley. We drew in Copenhagen. But semi-finals are, are rare things. They don't happen to us very often. And, and worrying about not winning and not wanting to tempt fate and all that being too scared that you might offend someone if you actually enjoy the occasion could take away some of your joy. Is it time just to keep a lid on it and see what happens over the next couple of days and, and then, then experience the joy if you win? Or should you embrace this situation and let yourself go? Keep a lid on it. Be controlled like the team is for now. Uh, and then we wait until the actual night and then we can panic horribly. And hopefully at the end of all our panic, England will win. So, I mean, as a fan, generally, I have a kind of edge of pessimism. I'm always kind of leaning towards what might go wrong. And what I've been really impressed by is England have played in the same vein. They're thinking, right, what might go wrong? Let's be very controlled. Let's keep a lid on this. Let's do our job. Get it done. 
It's not been the roller coaster of previous tournaments. The game against Ukraine had very little stress in it. That's mm. very unusual for an England game. Yeah, Tre- Trevor, what's your view on it? Are you sort of embracing the madness and getting getting to grips with uh, every bit of uh, euphoria you can, or are you sort of trying to keep yourself bubbling on the surface? Um, I'm calm, um, but when I analyse it, I look at the I look at the team. I look at the way they control games. I look at the rotation in the squad and the depth. I look at how solid they've been at the back. And I look at the options that they've got to bring off the bench. And even being like, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic anyway, but even me trying to be kind of hold it down a little bit, I'm excited. I really do think this England squad, uh, and, and I say squad, not team, I think this England squad have got everything to go all the way and win this. Okay, uh, Alex Crook at this point would probably be here telling us <laughs> it's no problem, it's all going to be okay because he did that ahead of the Ukraine game and I was trying to bring him down saying, no, no, look, you know, the Ukraine are okay, they've, they've drawn with France in the last year, they've beaten Spain. He went, no, they'll beat them 4-0. Give him credit, <laughs> they did. <laughs> um, and he's not here today because he's stuck in Rome. Now, he made Bless a big him. play about the fact that he was going to Rome and he was very excited about it. <laughs> he's had a very stressful 12 hours in which he hasn't been allowed to leave the country, which is probably his story to tell you for another day. Uh, we are going to crack on and look at Denmark versus England, which is Wednesday night live on TalkSport. 1966 semi-final. England went on to win that and then win the trophy. In 68, they played a semi-final and lost in the European Championships, but that was a four-team deal. Very different format. In 1990 at the World Cup, they lost their semi-final to Germany on penalties. 1996, the same. And then... We had to go 22 years before another semi-final in Russia. We lose that in extra time to Croatia. What sort of twirl around the gamut of emotions will Wednesday night provide? Striker Larson with an outswinger. Free header for Delaney! And Denmark perfect start and a team as defensively durable as the Czech Republic found wanting at the set piece and Denmark's fairy tale continues they could be on their way to the semi-finals they lead by a goal to nil already Jordan Henderson breaks finally breaks his England duck it is Ukraine nil England four the last four. We're rolling into a semi-final against a team that have got their own fairy tale going on. We are as well, make no mistake. And the early cross into the penalty area leads to a second goal from Dolberg. And Denmark look to be on their way to the semi-finals at Wembley. When you look at the quality from both teams and the way that England have been from the start of this tournament, we're definitely favourites. There's so much is, is right about this England team. The team which had to deal with such trauma at the start of the European Championships have made their way through to the semi-finals. To do it for Christian, to try and use all that emotion, use it together, and to try and get a result for Christian. They beat us in the autumn. We only drew in Copenhagen. I think they're a very good team, very underestimated. There are uh, hopes that Denmark can uh, can go the whole way and perhaps uh, win. And when the England fans sing, it's coming home. Every chorus just has that little bit more conviction. So let's start with Denmark because they looked accomplished in the first half against the Czech Republic. A little out on their feet in the second. Obviously, they were in Baku. It's very hot, long way to travel. They've been around the block after three games uh, in Copenhagen to start with. I've long been an admirer of Kasper Hjolman, the Danish pep, as they call him, Kevin. How tough will they be? They'll provide a, a massive challenge. Uh, I think we know that and a lot of it does stem from what Hjolman has done. And I think... You know, we've talked about it on, on this show before, Sam. It was quite controversial, the decision to replace Orga Haraida, who had been the coach before. He would have been in charge for this tournament had it been a year earlier, but it had been announced fairly early on that he wasn't going to have his deal extended and he was going to be replaced by Hulmand. And so when the tournament was moved, Hulmand got the nods to take over. And many people in Denmark at the time 
thought that it was a move away from pragmatism, a move away from solidity to something much more romantic in a way, but much more unpredictable and therefore not necessarily as effective. So there were big doubts about how this was going to work. And he's always had this tag of maybe he's a bit too nice. Maybe he is a bit too much of a football romantic, but this has been a great kind of vindication of his methods. He's a great man manager. He is somebody who the players trust. He's genuinely interested in them as people, as well as players that he can, you know, resources at his disposal. And even when it didn't work out in Germany at Mainz, the feeling is that it was more to do with a personality clash with the then sporting director, Christian Heidel. He wanted to have a say in transfers. He wanted to have a say in the overall direction of the club. Heidel just wanted him to coach and said, just do your job. And so he made the move on. He's been absolutely superb and he's got great respect within Denmark. They see him as one of the great leaders inside and outside football. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, there's a, a perspective in, in, in Denmark, which is very much chasing the dream of the 1986 sort of stars, the Danish dynamite, trying to get back to that sort of way of playing, that sort of entertainment. Um, I'm not sure it's quite like that, but certainly this team have, have managed to ride a wave of emotion after tragic events and the, the, the near-death experience of Christian Eriksen, which makes them a dangerous team. Uh, but they've got a lot of quality as well all over the park. I mean, Trevor, I mean, they scored one of the goals of the tournament for me on Saturday. Myler's cross with the outside of his right foot. I mean, you'd have been proud of that one, wouldn't you? I mean, what a fantastic ball that is. What a ball. Uh, and you talk about super strengths. You know, you talk about super strength in, in players and, you know, we, we, we talk about Lionel Messi with his left foot. Why does he not use his right foot? Well, when you've got a super strength with your left foot, why bother? Uh, and that is part of the Barcelona philosophy. You know, work on the super strengths and the other stuff will sort, sort itself out. You can keep on working on it, concentrate on the super strengths. And, and the cross that he put in, I mean, talk about if you could have drawn a line on a screen and said, this is the kind of crush you need into this area, it would have been exactly that. It was perfectly executed. It's a difficult skill to do, especially with the accuracy and the height and the pace that he had to put on the ball. And it was superbly finished. And just going back on what you said, you know, about the team, they're a, they're a modern European team. They've got players playing all over Europe. Um, they've obviously got the added spirit, which is not by design, because I don't think they had that spirit to start with. But what happened to Christian Eriksen has brought that group together in a way that I don't think any of us understand now. And that's why I feel they're so dangerous. But talking about Kasper Howman, again, you know, he's a modern manager. He's a, he's a new breed of manager. He's a bit like, you can say like he's Gareth, a, isn't he? He is like Gareth. He cares for the players. He wants the players to, he wants players to do the best that they can do. He doesn't want to shout at them. He wants to educate them. And I think it's, it's listen, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous formation, what they've got going on. And with the formation that they play for uh, three, four, two, one, and the way that in a way, a little bit like Chris Wilder did with Sheffield United, he's got overlapping or underlapping um, wide central defenders. It's difficult to deal with that. And if the, on transition, if you're not aware of that, and, and, and you know, it could be anyone from the England side, it could be Sterling, it could be Sancho, it could be Foden, whoever it is, if you're not aware of that on transition and they get the run on you, you're not getting back. And if that get, ball gets played in, they're going to put some dangerous crosses into the box. So they are a danger. I think um, it, you'd be stupid to say they're not. And uh, they've done superbly well. And, you know, the way they started that game um, in the quarterfinals was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out as well. It's not just great coaching. It's not just a good tactical plan. It's, it's, it's also the fact that he's got a greater pool of players than maybe some of his predecessors have had. Players that are playing in the Bundesliga, the Champions League, Spain, Italy, of course, the Premier League. The team from Saturday uh, and the quarterfinal played for Leicester, Chelsea, Milan, Udinese, Dortmund, Spurs, Sampdoria, Atalanta, Barcelona and Nice. This isn't a team, Kevin, from the edges of Europe. No, absolutely. And what I like about this squad, similar to England, really, is you have players that maybe haven't played a role earlier in the tournament, like Dolberg, for example. Yeah. And when they get the chance to shine, bang, they've suddenly done it. And Dolberg's taken over in the last couple of games, scored that brilliant goal against the Czechs, also got that brace against the Welsh. We've had young guys who are really making imprint like Damsgaard. Uh, Norgaard's come in for a couple of games recently, and he's looked very neat and tidy as well. But around that, 
they have that very, very solid spine. Wonderful goalkeeper in Kasper Schmeichel. Yeah. Simon Kier, not just the nuts and bolts defending, but the leadership as well. Hoybier and Delaney is one of the best pairings in the tournament in terms of that midfield area. And guys like Paulsen, who is such a hard worker... And I think sometimes in Germany, he gets a little bit written off as somebody who is just a worker, who is just a fighter. That guy can play. If you put together some of the spectacular goals he scored and just showed somebody that video, they think, <laughs> who is contract, this? Yeah. It is extraordinary. I've, I've got so be, few I've and got, far between, aren't they? That's the problem. Yeah. I've got to be honest, yeah. Kevin. When I've seen him play and I'm thinking... It, does he has he got something on the manager? Is he because you, you look and I listen? I'm not taking anything away from his work rate, but his quality. Sometimes I'm thinking, how is he in that team? Well, this is the thing. So, as Bundesliga commentators, sometimes we've had that where we've thought, you know, he'll ha he'll have a touch like a trampoline, and you'll think, <laughs> what is going on here? But then he'll bang in a volley from the corner of the area, like Van Basten. Yeah. He's done that before. He's had lovely kind of back heel finishes before. He's amazing in the air. He and you know what you're going to get from him. And you I think know, when you got never has a game off. As as a former pro, when you've got a player like that, who whether he's playing well, whether he's scoring worldies, whether you know he's playing his part. If you know you've got a player that's going to leave everything out there on the yeah. pitch, the players will have him, especially when he's got the backing of the manager. And sometimes you, you don't, don't feel sorry for these players, but you just think, you know what? He might not be the most talented, but he brings so much to our team that we'll have him all day long. And I think that's what must be going on with him. So England then. Gareth has uh, changed his 11 in every one of the last 35 games. But does he change it for this one, Trevor? <sighs> Tough one. I think he does. I think, you know, you're looking at Sancho for me, you know, did well, um, looked after the ball, so some, some, some really nice uh, pieces of skill and he's, he's, he kind of knows how to get out of little puzzles very well on the pitch. You know, we'll have a certain situation where he's mob-handed against him, but he knows how to pretend to go in there, but he wants to go in there and he, he does that so well. But for me, I feel that right sided of the attacking players will get changed. I think Sancho's kind of had his opportunity, did well enough, but did he do well enough where you're going to say he's going to play in front of Saka? So, or... so who are you going to replace him with? I mean, if, is, is Saka going to be fit, Sam? We don't, do we know that I, I don't think there was that much of a problem with him, really. Yeah, so... I think he, I, he took a little knock and he'll be fine for, for, the, for the game on Wednesday. I'm actually thinking about it. Are they going to change back to a three again? Yeah, I mean, possibly, because obviously with, with Denmark playing with a three at the back, they might want to match them up more uh, than playing with a four. I think this is the beauty. And it, like we're having a discussion about it now. Imagine what this is like for the Denmark manager. He doesn't know who's going to play. He doesn't know what formation we're going to play. And I think that poses a lot more problems for the opposition. Gareth knows what he wants to execute. And yeah. he'll make sure the players know that, and who, I think, who he selects. And I think, Kevin, we could probably pick the Denmark team right now pretty much I know there's been a couple of changes over the course of the tournament but it seems that Striga Larsson is going to play on that right hand side he's been sort of preferred in the end to the other options that they have tried Boylesen and, and Vass yeah. um, so I, I think we can probably pick that Denmark team as long as everybody's fit with England I mean I don't think any of us really apart from the day before the game when we've been given a few hints could really nail down exactly what the 11 is going to be and I suppose that does work in their favour it does, and I like that. And there's an element of Thomas Tuchel about it in a way, in the way that he's always coached, in the sense that you have to strike a balance between having faith in what you can do as a team and imposing yourself on the opposition, but also saying, right, well, they're really good at that. They're really good at that as well. Let's stop that. Let's negate that. So if Mail is getting away down the left all the time and creating those overloads, how can we stop that? And I know I do keep going back to it, but I think it's mega important. What they did to Germany was a great example of that because they yeah, said, okay, totally agree. Gozen's down the left, Kimmich down the right. That's yeah. where they'll try and hurt us. Those quick switches of play, get those wide overloads. So Gareth just went, okay, we'll match up. We'll stop that. And once they did stop it, and they stopped Germany being as comfortable as they were in the first 15, 20 minutes, then the wing-backs, especially Luke Shaw on the left, could go and impose themselves. And so I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing looking at what the opposition do and finding out how to negate it. It actually turns into a positive the longer the game goes on. 
And it's a positive, isn't it, Trevor? Because basically what you do if you decide to match someone up, which is what they did against Germany, was is you're basically saying to your players, I am trusting you to be better than your opposite number. I think you are better than those. I think you can beat that person in a one-on-one duel. I'm handing it over to you. I'm trusting you. You will get the job done. Yeah, 100%, Sam. And uh, it's individual battles. And I think if you put that responsibility into the England players and they look themselves in the mirror, they'll back themselves against this Danish side. It's as simple as that. Going back to the, the formation and the team, he might change it. I think the, the players that could come in, Foden and Saka, you don't know which one he's going to choose. I think Grealish could play. And when you start looking at the detail of players and, and their skill strengths, and you might say, all right, put Grealish in. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that I don't think will change. And that's that back six and the goalkeeper. Because I think they've been, I mean, not conceding, speaks for itself. They've been absolutely outstanding. And, you know, at times we've dug Kyle Walker out for his play in possession. But he completely nullifies anything that the opposition have got down that left-hand unless side. He's, unless he's passing to them. <laughs> yes, yes, which was a rare <laughs> mistake, which is a rare, a rare mistake. mistake. And he held his hand up. But that's him in possession. <laughs> he's, almost, he's almost more of a danger in possession than <laughs> yeah. the opposition in possession. Just, just give it to somebody else, Carl. Come on. Um, I, I, think, I think like you, I don't think they'll change any of the members of the defence. I think they'll add to it. I think they'll go back to Walker, Maguire, Stones and have um, Shaw as a left wing back and Trippier back in yeah. as a right wing back. They'll play the two holders, Phillips and Rice, now free of uh, bookings. I think that, that whole situation was managed brilliantly as well. Mm. And then I think you probably will have, well, you could have a, have a Mount, a Sterling and a Kane. You might get one of the others. You might get one of the, the speed merchants, or we might save that till, till later in the game. This could be a tight game. This could, I mean, the two matches between the, them in the Nations League were very, very tight. I was in Copenhagen, actually. It was the last time I've been outside the country. It was nil-nil. It was dreadful, dreadful. It was a dreadful football match. And that night, England played three at the back. Uh, Connor Cody played in the centre of the back three. And it was absolutely, mm. I mean, it was, it was a dreadful match, nil-nil. And then they played at Wembley, Similar, I think England played a three. Harry Maguire got sent off in that game for overstretching. It was a long time with 10 men for England. And I think Christian Eriksen scored the penalty, which was a bit dubious, actually, um, given against Carl Walker after Pickford sort of got in his way, really. I think pushed him, really. Um, so um, I think it could be tight. It could be a long one. I think the substitutions are going to be critical. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about the starting 11, but actually whoever that happens to be in those forward positions, and I really like Mason Mount. I think he's a big game player. I think he's super intelligent. Mm. I think his movement can cause all kinds of problems. But whoever it happens to be, the timing of the subs is crucial and the impact they can make. And we've seen Jack Grealish come in and make a big difference. I think Jaden Sancho could come into a game and cause havoc against tired legs and tired mm. minds. So yeah. England have those game changers. Phil Foden's another one. So that's fine. And we think about the Danes. They didn't have travel, obviously, to start with, but they have had since. Yeah. All of the euphoria, all of the emotional drain that they have suffered, you know, that can't be yeah. ignored. And they've just been in Baku, just had a really draining quarterfinal against the Czechs. And you're right, they started ever so well in that game. But the early part of the second half, when Shilavi made a couple of subs that really worked for them, Yankto and Kamenchik came on, they had to work ever so hard. They did. And they looked a little bit tired, didn't they, really, towards the, the end of the game. They looked like they were hanging on a little bit. And in the end, I think actually it was only the fact that the Czechs looked as if they too were absolutely yeah. crackered yeah. that probably saved them. Um, we mentioned Jaden Sancho. On the other side, Raheem Sterling. You can't underplay the role that he's had. Uh, in the tournament so far. He's been absolutely terrific for England. His role in the goal that um, Shaw sets up for Kane has to be appreciated. A little back flick that goes down the left side of the penalty area and Shaw tees it up for Harry Kane to steer home his header. I mean, I mean, how vital will he be to occupying the likes of Striga Larsson on that, on that right-hand side and running at Christensen down that channel? Yeah, it's going to be hugely important to the England squad, as he has been for the whole tournament. You know, he's... Um, He's a blessed player. He's got many assets that he can, you know, hurt the opposition. But I think one thing you have to give him is resilience because he has been criticised. He has been, you know, dropped from the Manchester City side um, in recent months leading up towards this tournament. And he's had to find it with himself to keep on believing in himself, keep himself tip-top condition. And I think what we're seeing now is a fresh, bright, 
player that believes in his own ability. And, you know, three goals, he's been involved in a lot more goals than that. Um, his work rate. But I think the, the biggest thing for me is if you're facing a team with Raheem Sterling in and you're facing a team without him, you're much happier without him because he's got too many super strengths. And I think what he's done for England in this tournament already, he's probably going to add to that. And uh, yeah, I think it, like, a little bit like Kane, he, he's pretty much undroppable from his performances and what he's shown. I think if you look at the entire tournament, for me, he's the player of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. I think he's scored vital goals. He's had contributions in vital goals, constantly moving, so difficult to contain because of the intelligence, because he'll hurt you in so many ways. He'll run in behind or he'll draw people towards him as he did for the opener against Ukraine and he can make that pass. There are players who will draw the opposition towards them, but they can't make that pass Mm. to actually make that count. But he actually can. And he's got the awareness, he's got the vision and he's been consistent. It's not like he had one great game and then he disappeared for two. He's there every single time. And I do think because the opposition are now very, very aware of what he can do, automatically he's making space for his teammates. So for me, I was thinking about this earlier today, I was thinking, has there been a more effective, consistent player in the entire tournament? I don't think there has. No, I mean, maybe you would argue that up until the point where poor old uh, Leo Spinazzola uh, injured his Achilles, and we'll get to that. He he had quite a good contribution uh, to uh, Italy's performances. And, and, And possibly... I mean, even when the Spanish side, you're looking for people who have been impressive there. I, mean, I suppose Pedri's played a lot of football, but actually I thought he wilted in the game against yeah, he did. Uh, Switzerland. Um, so, yeah, look, I think he's certainly... Busquets had a major impact since coming into that midfield, but we'll talk about them in just a second. Um, a quick word on the on the midfield for England, because we've sort of speculated that they might drop a, drop a body... Uh, from the, the wing position and, and, and add an extra defender. Uh, I, we always say this over and over again, that the midfield wins the game. Mount, Rice, Phillips in there will outnumber the two that are, are detailed to play in that position for for Denmark. But watch for the tactic where Hulman throws in Christensen mid-game. It happened in the Wales match and they didn't react to it. So all of a sudden, Wales, who were actually in command of the first 15, 20 minutes of their last 16 game with Denmark, actually found the game slip away from them. So very quickly, just by that one simple move, of just pushing an extra body into mm-hmm. midfield, which Christensen is capable of doing. So they've got, England got to be aware that that might happen. Well, I think I'm just going to jump on what Kevin said earlier about uh, Mason Mount. Because I think if he does play and he gets given that detail, if Christensen does start jumping into them little areas, I think he's got the awareness, he's got the... Um, savviness to realise that. There'll be communication from the technical area as well, but he's got the, the skill set to go and do that and, and, and take him out of the game as well. So I always talk about Mason Mount and I talk about clinical in, in possession, but actually the work rate out of possession, these fitness levels, uh, sticking to task, working tirelessly for the team. I mean, they're huge, huge fundamentals that any midfield player needs to have. And if that does happen, I think he, he's a player that can step in and make sure that he nullifies anything that Christensen's going to bring into the game. I think Harry Maguire's got a role to play as well here yeah. because the Danes like to press. They like to make life awkward for defenders if they can. He's ever so good at bringing players towards him and then beating them with that pass, yeah. trying to break the lines, trying to open up space. With Brings that the ball out of defence well as well, doesn't he? Because yeah, he did that absolutely. against Ukraine and he did that against Germany and it actually made a big difference because once they realised that he could do that, it gave them an extra body just moving forward into midfield. It just helps. Yeah, and it's why, you know, if you look at some of the highly rated young defenders around Europe right now, you know, people look at, say, Deo Upamecano, who's just signed for Bayern, Mm. and people look at him sometimes and think he he looks a little bit exposed in the big games and they wonder about him. But then you look at his statistics in terms of bringing the ball out from the back and just taking the opposition out Mm. with a pass or whether it's a dribble or whatever. Ibrahim Okonate is very good at it too. That's the way centre-backs are asked to play now. And Harry Maguire is very, very good at it. Yeah. Um, What about centre-forwards? Because Kane's form was questioned, but he's got three tournament goals now. Um, Not to be sniffed at, you know, three tournament goals is pretty impressive. And, you know, I thought his header was excellent. I thought his positioning was brilliant. I thought 
there was a period in the Germany game, there was a chance in the Germany game, and I was lucky enough to be at Wembley, where he took too many touches when Neuer came out to him at the, uh, the, the, the I think it was just before half time. He was played in by a mistake and he got behind the defence and he took a touch to try and go round Neuer and then tried to get back and Mats Hummels was there and cleared it. It was no taking any chances after four minutes against Ukraine. That ball came through. He stretched every part of his body and he was going straight for goal. He wasn't waiting for it. Uh, but how do you get the best out of him in a game like this when he's going to come up against two absolutely gigantic and very well, very intelligent centre-backs? I mean, Vestergaard's absolutely huge. He's, he's almost two metres tall. <laughs> Simon Kerr is just a very clever guy. I mean, there was a little bit, there's a little bit of a rumour today that Simon Kerr might have a bit of an injury, um, which we'll keep an eye on. But um, what's your view on how to get the best of, of Harry Kane, Trevor? Well, I think Harry Kane is a very clever player. I think uh, we've seen it at Tottenham many times where he looks like he's not really interested in the game or he's not getting involved in the game, not getting a lot of touches of the ball and he'll come deep. And that's and if he can pull one of them defenders out with him, there's going to be a space in that back line. Um, they've only got three there as it is. If he pulls one defender out, that that's just like the trigger for the, the midfield players who are playing just behind him to make them runs. Out to him runs, especially Sterling. He's done it superbly well, caused lots of teams problems in this tournament already. Um, and I think if he if he realizes he's not getting any change out of either of them two players. He will do that. He's got that intelligence. And that's, play, that's like, listen, that's football IQ, we call it. It, it, it realises he needs to affect the game. He'll drop into areas where he's pulling players out. He doesn't really want the ball. But if, he, if they don't follow him, he'll get it and turn and it'll be useful. But if they do follow him, then he's creating spaces for that into-out runs from left wing into the centre, from right wing into the centre. And that, that'll be a trigger for us to go and enjoy ourselves, make them runs, and then we can miss Harry Kane out and put it into the spaces. Yeah, sign of his sharpness as well, I thought, was that left foot volley against oh, Ukraine. Yeah. Just thought, oh, okay, I'll take that on. It was a brilliant save in the end from Bushchamp, but that was just a sign of how confident he's suddenly feeling. And it's his mojo. He's back, isn't it? That's it's it. His mojo. That's the it. Mojo. You see that with strikers. You know, we, we, we analyse, and quite rightly, we analyse so many facets of the game, but sometimes with strikers... Once it clicks, it clicks. Mm. And when it's not working, there's no discernible reason. And then suddenly they'll get nine goals in 10 games and bang, they're back in the game. But the key, I think Trev's absolutely right. If he drops, then it needs other runners to go, behind, go in behind. And, and go sometimes beyond him. that's what's been lacking, isn't it? You know, sometimes yeah. that hasn't happened. And there's been a couple of occasions when Raheem has, has kept hold of the ball for longer than is necessary too. So, you know, I think that they've, they've, they've sort of worked that situation out much better just, on the left. Just one thing on that, Sam, as well. You know, you, you can ask your wingers to do that and they'll do that tirelessly, especially Raheem, because his ability to, to recreate that sprint and yeah. keep on going and keep on going. But I think one player that surprised us early on in the tournament who made them runs, the holding midfielder, is Calvin Phillips. Yeah. And I think that is why he's so vital to this team because one, listen, he'll sit in with Rice when he needs to. But I think one of his super strengths is his fitness. And I think you, you can ask any Leeds fan. Have you been watching can, some Marvel or something? Because you keep saying super strengths. I'm just worried that... No, no, it's, I it's, like it's, it. It's, it's a terminology now in, It's a terminology now in coaching. Is it? Is but, it? Is but, it? You're going to find but, this on one of, his ass, one, one, one of his assets <laughs> is he's got unbelievable uh, running power. And he will also add to them runs. So if he sees that the two wingers have done a bit of work and they're struggling... He'll make them runs in behind. So what? It's not you've not just got certain players to rely on. Mount can make them runs. I'm not sure Freelish is a player that makes them runs up so much. Which so again, you look team, yeah. you look at you look at them. You look at the, the team that could be, and you think maybe because Mount can make them runs, that will he'll get the nod over Grealish as well. Okay, um, one of uh, England's other super strengths is their defence. They're yet to concede a goal, Trevor. <laughs> Don't swear at me. I was just using your words. You know, use a new coaching <laughs> term. You know, uh, Pickford uh, had a couple of wobbles, didn't he, on Saturday night? Maybe just a bit hyper aroused. He's been very good, actually, at being mm. calm over the course of the tournament so far. I mentioned in the Scotland game that he's been using a psychologist to keep his emotions in check. And that seems to have worked for him up until this point. I mean, luckily, at the time that he did make his little error, England were 4-0 up. So there wasn't too much of a problem. Look, I'm not one to tempt fate. I'm, I'm certainly not one who's ever going to say it's coming home. But I think we've given them the address. It's standing on the doorstep. It's fumbling with its keys. Just get in the door, will you? Uh, we'll talk Italy-Spain next. 
so after three successive failures at major tournaments, do Spain have what it takes this time around? And it is Ferran Torres with his first touch since coming on. Slovakian defence at sixes and sevens. And at this rate, it could be six or seven. Towards the far post, Morata brings it down! And he sent a left-footed volley crashing into the corner. Spain ahead again. He's putting it in the corner. And the Spanish march on at Euro 2020. don't want to concede goals and when they go forward I mean wow they are the real deal they've finally broken the deadlock and it's Federico Chiesa they're waving their flags high up into the air they're waving their scarves and the final whistle goes and Italy are through to the semi-finals of Euro 2020 Portadori Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Italy against Spain is Tuesday night. It's the first semi-final, live on TalkSport, 8 o'clock. Uh, Spain are in the semi-finals of a major competition for the first time since they beat Italy in the final of Euro 2012. They're currently the top scorers. But boy, do they miss a hell of a lot of a chances too. I mean, they won't be able to do that against Italy, will they, Kevin? No, they won't. And it's what's been remarkable about the Spanish team is how chaotic it's been. Because... They make lots of chances. They miss lots of chances. At the back, I think they've looked really suspect at times. I know they've been trying to play that down. I'm Eric Laporte said, no, I don't think we've given up You know, too many big chances. Well, you have. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the stats you have. And I they've, think been him- t- they've been terrible at the back, those two together. Yeah, him and Pau Torres. The equaliser for Shakiri oh, is, is a farce. And oh. Isn't that a symptomatic of the problem they've got? Because they both like to play as the mm. left-sided centre-half and, and Laporte is being pushed out to play as the right-sided centre-half to accommodate Pau Torres. It, was, it looked a lot better. And I think if you do the statistics, I don't think they've conceded a goal, apart from that stupid, ridiculous own goal. I don't think they've conceded a goal when Garcia and Laporte have been playing together at the back. All their goals, I think, that they've considered in this tournament have come with Pau Torres on the left and Laporte at right centre-half. Yeah, and, it, and there are problems. I mean, Trev will know this better than me, but there are problems with bringing the ball out from the back as well yeah. to do with passing angles. And, yeah. you know, if you've got two left-footers, that does make it more difficult and it makes it more predictable in terms of how you're building up. I think there are problems. Uh, the, the midfield is the strength, but I think the issue they've got 
is that Pedri is brilliant. No problems there. Busquets is great. He knows how to kind of make sure the lines are as far apart as they need to be. He's a very good organiser in there. That's all great. But Italy won't let you play at the pace you want to play at, especially Correct. in midfield. So there'll be that great little battle of generals between Jorginho and Busquets. By the way, what a time Jorginho's having. Just won the Champions yeah. League. And he's into the semi-finals of the Euros. Yeah. May well get to the final. And, and Chelsea tried quite to sell him last stick. year. Yeah, he gets a lot of <laughs> stick. I mean, you know, people talked about him being kind of Sarri's teacher's pet when he came to Chelsea and, you know, was he all that? But he does a vital role. And you listen to any of the Italians talk about him and they're trying to talk him up all the time. Barella is fantastic. You've got that option between Verratti and Locatelli. I just think... Spain aren't used to being beaten in midfield, but I think they will be here. And that's the key question here, because I think Pedri got a little bit bullied during that game against Switzerland, especially in the second half. And he went missing a little bit after what was quite a nice start. And he he plays just left of Busquets and Koke plays on the right, but he's only 18 years of age, for Christ's sake. I mean, he's played 62 games, I think, over the course of the season. And I just thought that towards the end of that game against Switzerland, it started to show a little bit. And if you've got a weakness in midfield against this Italy team, you're going to find yourself in serious trouble. Yeah, uh, listen, um, I've commentated on a couple of the Spanish games and he's really impressed me. Uh, He's been immense. For an 18-year-old boy to put the performances that he's put in is incredible. I think Luis Enrique has got a lot of confidence in him. But I agree with you. Uh, Against Switzerland, I really do feel that he went missing a little bit. It was a physical game. Switzerland made it a, kind of an end-to-end game as much as they could. And it was kind of a second ball game. And yeah, he didn't anticipate as, as well as I thought he would. And even if, when he did, he was out-muscled a little bit. And he couldn't do what he wanted to do, which is get on the ball, keep possession. I mean, some of the stats that Spain have had in this tournament already, 86% possession in a game at times. So often when they're in possession, He's perfect because he's so technically sound. His spatial awareness is brilliant. But out of possession and when it comes a bit of a stretch game, which Switzerland forced this game to be, I thought he looked a little bit out of his depth and I thought that was probably an area where Spain struggled. They need to look at that because against the Italians, I mean, they're they're decent going forward. They're clinical going forward. And if they start dominating that midfield, I think Spain could be blown away. Uh, there was a lovely image at the end of the spot kicks where, and look, you know, that, let's be honest, it should never have got that far, really. I mean, Spain should really have dealt with that game mm. before it got there, but it did get there and then they held their nerve in the end. Again, the, the statistic of if you take the first kick, you usually win 60%, I think it is, something like that. You know, so important just to win that toss more than anything else. Um, but there's this beautiful image where Unai Simon was embraced by Oja Thabal right at the very end. Um, now, back in February, Simon was saving penalties from Oja Thabal in a Copa del Rey uh, shootout. But the passion and emotion and, and connection, such a ju- juxtaposition, really, to the images of the same player and goalkeeper facing each other three months ago, <laughs> is sort of testament to the spirit that Luis Enrique has created and demands. He is a bloke that does not suffer falls. Yeah, he does things his way. And they're really good friends as well, uh, Oya Thabal and, and uh, Uno Simon. Um, and as you say, they had that, that battle uh, in the Copa del Rey final under the most enormous pressure. We talk about pressure in the European Championship. Wow, athletic club against Real Sociedad in yeah. the Copa del Rey final. <laughs> Once you've dealt with that, you can deal with anything. So don't worry about that. I, I do love the togetherness of the squad. I, I do love how Thiago's become this kind of cheerleader for them even when he's not playing he's Mm. kind of consoling opposition players or he's g'ing up his own players so that's been quite nice to see and the one thing you know about Luis Enrique is it's his way or the highway and because the players have that certainty I think that helps and you know Trev will know players want their coaches to be honest with them yeah and and that's in any situation if you know where you stand with the coach that's great I still think he made a mistake by not including Nacho in the squad yeah because I I thought the one Real Madrid player that everyone sort of goes well okay we understand it to a point but Nacho I think it's madness you've got Eric Garcia who with the best will in the world, has not played enough football. He's played in the twelve games half of the season. Absolutely. Well, not, so. not only not only that, Kev. He's not when he, when he's played. I thought he, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't really fill me with a lot of confidence when he's played for Manchester City. Absolutely. I, I've been one of them where I've, I've looked at him and I thought, what's the big? Di- why are Barcelona so desperate to get him? And you know, why is he so desperate to get to Barcelona? I can understand, but on on the former, I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, what has he got? 
And you look at Nacho in some of those big Champions League games this season, mm. he was the best player on the pitch. You know, so very strong. And when they had Sergio Ramos out, when they had Rafa Varane out, and you saw Ed Militao and Nacho come in, you thought, oh, okay, the opposition's going to have a chance here. He was faultless in some of those games. Yeah. So I think he's been really unfortunate not to be included. And if he had been included, he'd be in the team by now yeah, because I think he's the best natural defender of those centre-backs they've yeah. got. Totally and when I, looked at that, when I looked at the team sheet for that game against Switzerland, I looked at, obviously, Aspilicueta on the right-hand side, Laporte, and then Pau Torres. I thought Jordi Alba would have gone into midfield and they were playing a free. And that's why I thought they'd done that because you'd have a central defender right in the middle who's left-footed, a left-sided central midfield uh, defender who would be left on the left-hand side, and then a right-sided with Basquiliqueta. So I was quite surprised that they played with a flat-back four having two left-sided players because, as you said, when the ball comes to Laporte, who was playing the right of the two, he always tends to want to come into his stronger side. So all of a sudden, you've not got that easy out ball to Aspilicueta or the winger on that side, who was Torres at the time. Or, or to be fair, Sarabia and Torres switched all the time anyway. Um, so yeah, I was really surprised that he went with that formation. I think Luis Enrique will learn from that. And another thing, Sarabia, who I think has been excellent in this tournament, he, he had an off day. So he'll be looking to try and up his game if he's given the option to start the game because Olomo, who came on in his replacement, played pretty well. Yeah, Danny Olmo was excellent, by the way, when he came off. the Brilliant and, player. And he was brilliant against Croatia as well. Um, you mentioned about the, that, that left-sided, two left-sided centre-backs. Could you just tell Dicko, please? Because I mentioned it in the commentary during this <laughs> game and he said to me, oh, no, it's not a problem. So could you just, next time you see well, him, actually, mention he, that to him? There's two sides to this argument because often... We don't have any left-footed central defenders and we play two right-footed centre-halves. So that's the same kind of problem going out to the left. Well, what about Ukraine? Ukraine had about seven left-wingers on the pitch <laughs> at one stage yesterday. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, this is why Gareth picks six right-backs. Um, uh, right, uh, Italy, missing Spinat Zola, a left-back who's actually right-footed, who isn't going to play because he's going to be out for at least six months because he's ruptured his left Achilles, which is absolutely a horrible injury, by the way. When it happened, I was sitting next to Nigel de Jong and he said... Um, he said, I know what that is straight away. That's, that's, that's an Achilles. And I went, how can you tell that? He goes, I've done it. I know what it feels like. It feels like you've been shot. It is horrible. It's an absolutely horrible injury. So best wishes uh, to him. What does Mancini do then? I mean, he actually was playing Emerson there for much of the qualification yeah. period anyway. So I suppose he'll just slip back in, right? Yeah, I think he will. Uh, and Spinout Solo wasn't a lock for that team coming into this tournament. And he no. seized the opportunity superbly. Uh, it's interesting. You look at some of the great wing backs we've seen in this tournament, Spinazzola, Mela. What's the thing that links them? They've yeah. worked at Atalanta under Gasparini. Yeah. Oh, and they all play, play on the wrong side. Well, yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> so, so you look at you know, his influence on some of the players that have been at this tournament, and that's been quite interesting to see. Mm. I think... They have so many strengths all over the field. I think Donnarumma has been superb, yeah. really, really strong. Chiellini came back and was just Chiellini. I mean, he just loves defending. <laughs> Quite happy. To, if you smack him in the face, he'll smile at you. And he'll yeah. absolutely love that. He, and, he'll, and he'll be very polite about it as well. Yeah. yeah in, in perfect English. He is, I saw an article the other day that called him the defender's defender. Uh, and that is absolutely <laughs> what he is. He just absolutely loves the defensive side of it and it inspires everybody else that's the thing and then you have this beautifully balanced midfield I love Chiesa I think Chiesa is a, a fantastic big game player but you've got Berardi pushing him hard as well Immobile basically had a game off and, and so uh, I, th I thought he was able... poor actually to be honest really with you, Kevin. poor Kevin against really Belgium poor. I thought his decision making yeah. his lack of control could have been costly in that game yeah. I mean I know they uh, the, I mean the, the, the difficulty that Mancini has got is that he hasn't really got a, an exact replacement for Immobile the, the alternative is Belotti and he's a bit more brutish maybe he could rough up an, uh, the unconvincing pair of Pau Torres and, and Emmerich Laporte that, that's a possibility maybe he'll go that, down that avenue but certainly likes... Immobile was poor he likes Immobile's uh, mobility. He likes his ability to run the channels and cause problems. But I really like Belotti, and I think Belotti certainly wouldn't let him down if he was given the opportunity. But the, those debates are one of the reasons why Italy have got so far so impressively, because they're all over the pitch, more or less. Mm. If you didn't have Chiellini, you'd have Bastoni in there, you'd have Acerbi in there. They have options pretty much everywhere you look. Locatelli, who we were raving about quite rightly early in the tournament, 
isn't in the starting 11. And the reason for that is because Verratti's come back. So they've got great depth. And like England, there doesn't seem to be a situation where they're all kicking off because they're not playing. They're very much together, aren't they? Yeah, and that's been a a really big feature of what Mancini's been able to do and why they've had such a quick turnaround because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about them not qualifying for the World Cup. Yeah, three years ago. Uh, Although don't mention that if you go to Rome because I think that's why Crook couldn't get out. Um, uh, Italy, it's funny, we were talking about the laws changing if like for him going out there sort of tongue-in-cheek the other day and about him being thrown in jail um, for uh, going somewhere he shouldn't or something. Far be it from me to suggest that that's what's happened, but it is Sunday. He was supposed to be here. He is not. We'll see what happens later in the week. Hundred percent fine. <laughs> I have to build him a very tall cell. I can't imagine being uh, too comfortable. I don't. You wouldn't have to do much with the, the bars though, because he's got no upper body strength. So he's not breaking out of that any, anytime soon. Um, Italy do have quite a bit of strength. Their super strength is their unbeaten record. Trev, thirty-two matches now without defeat, and they've won the last thirteen. They're not to be messed with, are they? Do you think they go through here? Well, they've got a top manager, someone I've uh, you know obviously watched uh, perform and, and sees teams perform. They like to dictate possession. Um, he's calm. I think when we talk about spirit and the depth in their squad, and you know, there's no stories coming out that he's unhappy about not playing. I think he's managed the players really well. Um, listen, they've got great players all over the pitch. They've got the depth. We keep on talking about the England depth. They have got depth as well, and. I mean, the second goal was a thing of beauty. Insigne, what is he, five, five foot six? As yeah. soon as he got the ball, you could see he only had one thing in his mind. He was so positive. And, you know, if you're a young player, if you're a young forward and you, you want to know about what, what is it where you back yourself and you risk everything to, to, to go for the glory, just watch that clip. He gets the ball, he drives inside at the def- he drives into space first, the defender comes across, he chips it with the outside of his right boot, takes the player on, drives towards the edge of the box. And you can, you can tell from his body shape, there's only one thing he's going to do. He's either going to whip it in the top corner there or he's going to whip it across the, across the goal. It was an absolutely superb individual goal, which from a, as a former winger, I would have loved to have scored that goal because it had everything. It, 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 it kept, the fundamentals of being a winger were all there. For years, we talked about Arjen Robben. How does he manage to come in on his left and score that goal time and time and time again when defenders knew exactly mm. what he was up to, but they still couldn't stop him doing it? Insignia's like that, but on the other side. Seen him score so many goals like that for Napoli where he's always trying to come in, get on that right foot, bend it into the corner. That is what he's so very good at. Just one thing about Mancini, by the way, this feels, I know it's personal for everybody, but this feels really personal for him in a way because his experience with the Italian national team wasn't that great as a player, by and large. Well, it's because he kept going out and getting drunk, didn't he? I mean, that was a- <laughs> partially that, but it was, but, and that sparked a row with his coach at the time. And he had other scraps with coaches where he felt he should have played and he wasn't put in the team and therefore he reacted badly. And he's admitted since then he didn't handle things in the way that he wanted. So his experience generally with the Italian team was more negative than you'd expect. So it really feels like this is redemption for him and that passion that he pours into it has rubbed off on the players. I think it's tremendous. And I'm just on top. Of, I'm just on top of that, Kev. We we had um, we had um, Frankie Dittori in the studio uh, talking to us at the weekend, and uh, I mentioned it about obviously the, the problems that Italy had, uh, the epicenter of the pandemic, and I think you know out of all the places because you know there's a lot of working class places in Italy and they were ravished by this disease. Out of all the places, I think the football is something that's given them all hope, and yeah. to see. The, the players that. play with with the spirit and and get the results and 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 and, and just bring it. It just seems like the nation, like England in a way, but the nation is so behind this Italian side yeah. that I think they 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 feel they feel that kind of responsibility and it's inspired them. It was the, the center of the pandemic, wasn't it, for a very long time, yeah. and it was it was in, incredibly damaging to the Italian economy and to life there. I mean, the, the lockdown was incredibly strict. I mean, we all had a strict lockdown, but theirs went on for a very a very long time. Um, just a word on Lorenzo Insigne, five foot four. 
Um, and I, I actually caused a bit of a stir, if I remember rightly, in 2018 when at the World Cup when I said, here's Lorenzo Insigne. It's the same height as Victoria Beckham. Um, <laughs> That'll do that, Sam. That's just, it's true, but it's true. I don't understand <laughs> it, why. It's a fact. It's, it's, a fact. it's funny, you know, because uh, I was watching the game at home with my kids and uh, my son's only seven, but he's pretty much the shortest in his class right. and fairly recently he's been a little bit like oh i don't like being the short one in the class so i said to him and i have done in previous italy games watch insignia shortest guy on the pitch watch what he does and he was like oh wow yeah okay when he scored that goal i've never seen rishi move so fast oh, was like, he, he picked up a stool and was waving it around <laughs> he was like he was, he was screaming out yes little guy yes little guy so that was brilliant that was brilliant. And that's, and that's the thing. I don't think, yeah, we have this lot of conversations during the course of a season and we all focus very heavily on the Premier League and we all love it and we have a great time doing it. But I don't think that, that, that during the, the, the periods when we're not sitting right here and we're in the midst of a major European tournament, we appreciate the effect that major tournament football, which is available to a terrestrial audience on a daily basis, has on younger kids who fall in love with the game. My kid's never watched football. My 10-year-old my mm. never watched football before in, my, in his life. But he, today he's walking around in an England shirt. Yeah. Because, because these are the moments, these are the games, these are the, the, the tournaments that make kids fall in love with the, the, the sport itself. And I think, you know, I looked at the audience figures for some of the games that we've done this week. You know, Friday night I did the, the, the game between uh, Switzerland and Spain and it, and it peaked at eight point. Five million. It kicked wow. off at five o'clock. Eight point five million people watched that game. You know, I looked at. I did. We did the Germany. Uh, I did the uh, England Scotland game. You know, we we, we peaked at twenty point eight million people on linear television, and five million people streamed the thing. So you're talking half of the country are watching that. Yeah. I mean, it's an absolutely outstanding, outstanding number of people following the game. You know, it blows out any other television program that's being watched yeah. over the course of, of the year. So it's, you know, this is the opportunity for football to showcase how great it can be. It can inspire young people to get out and play the game and fall in love with it. And that, that's the way you make the game part of people's lives. <laughs> 100% Sam I mean listen I had Saint and Greaves so I'm probably showing my age but apart from Saint and Greaves <laughs> yeah, I did teenagers Trevor <laughs> Saint and Greaves Google Google, 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 Google. anyway uh, that's all we had and I, I played at the weekend so I didn't watch any there was no football on anyway we didn't have the the, the, uh, the channels the sky channels that we've got now we didn't have the f- football on you had the World Cup you had the Olympics and you had Wimbledon and I religiously watched all of them. And for me, that lit my fuse to want to be an athlete, to want to be a professional athlete. And I'm sure that is what it's doing. This Euros has been outstanding. And especially yeah, where agree. we've all come from through this pandemic. And I'm just, I'm just glad that the tournament and the players have stepped up to the plate. And they've been inspired by the fans. Let's not pretend that they haven't because the goals, the spirit, the comeback, everything to do with this tournament, for me, has it, shown how much football needs fans. The fans is the key, I think, Trevor, because yeah. with the best will in the world, you know, we've covered Premier League, haven't we, between us, but Bundesliga, we've covered Champions League and what have you. And we've seen, I have to give a huge amount of credit to the players yeah. because the standard of football they've been able to produce, quite a heavy workload physically, they've produced some wonderful, wonderful football. But with the best will in the world, with no fans actually in the stadium, it's not the same. And we've waited and waited and waited this now feels real, doesn't it? Yeah. This is what we remember. This is what we love. And it's no coincidence, I don't think, that you have Italy, Spain, Denmark and England all in the semi-finals and all, three of the, all four of them had three group games yeah. in their own stadium. Yeah. And I think there's probably something to be said for that. Uh, a word on Belgium, the end of the golden generation, possibly. What next, Roberto Martinez? Because this was the tournament they were supposed to win. Is Qatar 2022 a step too far? I mean, you need to find a couple of central defenders that aren't 115, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, and I think they're hoping that Jason Denier is a bit more consistent. And, you know, it, was, it struck me that Vermaelen looked really uncomfortable at times against Italy. And, and that's not even an age thing. I think that's a quality thing. And uh, he's been Vertonghen, playing in Japan. 
yeah, Vertonghen I have no problem with. Alderweireld I think is still a still a good player. I, I had Vermalen I'm not sure about at all. And so they're going to need to find a way of either still maximising the quality of those guys or getting guys through the system to push them. I mean, they've they've put Dendonka in that defensive role at times, mm. moved him from midfield. And I like Dendonka, but, you know, is he a Change top-class system, defender? Possibly. No. I, I don't know That's if they it. need the three in there. Do they need two in there? Could they not play with Bot? Can Boyata not play in there? He's playing yeah. in Germany. I mean, I know they had a great uh, disappointment this year at Hertha Berlin, with mighty Hertha Berlin. Boyata, I like. All the Boyata, when up. he's good, is very, very good. But he had a lot of injuries second half of the season. Yeah. And he just didn't play any football in 2021 and so wasn't quite at it when they really needed him to be. I think Qatar is still okay for them. I don't feel it's too late. I feel that might be their final swing at it. But I think because that comes so soon in relative terms, that's still a big opportunity for them. And they will hope for once they can get a fully fit Azar, a fully fit De Bruyne together. Hopefully nothing will go wrong with Lukaku. And then they'll have those three in the big games when they need them together. I mean, for De Bruyne to play with the injury that he had... Oh, yeah, it felt like a ruse. still look quite yeah. good. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't quite optimal De Bruyne, of course. He's basically He's done playing his on one leg. So, <laughs> one leg and half a face. What, I mean, what... You know, Trev will know this better than me, but the bravery... Yeah, to be shown to actually say right I, I'm still going to play because you know that's a risk Yeah, I mean I assume that could be an even worse injury if you further aggravate it so I mean it's pretty remarkable speaks to his character I think yeah absolutely I mean we've seen it many times I, I actually broke my cheekbone a few times whilst playing and uh, the following week I'd been measured up mask made to my face to the mould of my face and I was there the following week I want listen I wanted to play because I did, if I didn't get if I didn't play the following game, I wouldn't get my position back. So there was a bit of desperation yeah. with me. But I want to play. They're my mates. You know, we're in the trenches together. And I appreciate what you're saying about the central defenders. But for me, the biggest the biggest problem and sadness for me is Eden Hazard and how he's not been able to keep fit. Now, whether that's to do with his own lifestyle and to do with his own professionalism, I don't know. Uh, if it is, he needs to sort his act out and he needs to be honest with himself and his teammates both international level and domestically because you can't have a player like that missing from the biggest games because he's got hamstring strain. Now, I know hamstring strains can happen all the time, but when you've been out injured because you're heavy and you're not living properly, which I'm not saying he is, but this is what it, it looks like to me. He's gone there and he's getting injury after injury after injury. Get the work done in the gym, look after yourself and make sure you're an asset to the teams that you're playing for. I think it's the ankle, you know, because he's had this plate put in his ankle mm. and he, he didn't tend to, if you look at his history, he didn't tend to get those muscle strains, those little problems here, there and everywhere. And ever since he came back, there's been a big argument between Belgium's doctors and Real Madrid's doctors about whether the plate's too big, whether it needs to come out, whether there needs to be a replacement. And ever since, he's not been right. And I assume, having not gone to the gym that much, if I'm honest, <laughs> I assume if you're... If you're in rehab all the time, coming back from these little injuries, it does kind of Painful. affect you. And yeah, it yeah, affects how you recover. I, I think it's probably a bit of both, really, because I, I've told this story. I don't even know. I've probably told it on this podcast before, but I did a TV show with him and, and Olivier Giroud, and we filmed it in the Chelsea gym um, at uh, Cobham a couple of years ago. And he, um, Ollie Giroud turned around and said, Edin, Edin, this is the gym, by the way. <laughs> Because he, and, and then when we talked, we had a joke about it, but he said, oh, no, I don't come in here. I don't do any of that stuff. You know, and I just think that when you're, he's getting a little bit older. He's 30 years old. And this, know, is, what I, this is what and, I was going to say. And it's okay for five years ago not to be yeah. that person who goes in the gym every day. But actually, do you know what? If you really want to be the very, very best, and look, I'm not, I'm not giving away any secrets by saying that. Jose Mourinho has been on Talk Sport and he said almost exactly the same thing in the last couple of weeks. You know, he needs to do more work in order to get the best out of his body and that can happen you know I mean I, was, I wasn't someone that went in the gym week in week out but all of a sudden you look at the teammates around you who's being successful and for me I was blessed because I had Paolo Di Canio right at his peak and every day after training he was in the gym 45 minutes an hour and I thought you know what I'm going to jump on that with him and I got in the best physical condition. And this was in 2001, funnily enough. Mm. The following year, I got the England squad and went to the World Cup and was able to give, myself, give a good account of myself at the World Cup. 
But I think you, you, you either have to do it yourself and have that mindset where you want to change stuff and you want to start being on the field and you want to affect games or one of your teammates inspires you. Whatever it is, we want to see Eden Hazard playing in them big games because actually I feel with the connection and the interaction and the chemistry between him, Kevin De Bruyne, and even though Kevin De Bruyne wasn't fit and Lukaku, if they played, they would have had a much better chance of winning that game. Okay, uh, that is it from us. We are back. If England win, uh, we'll, we'll probably do a special reaction podcast, uh, which comes out at 5 a.m. in the morning. Producer Lucy doesn't know this, and she's probably right now pulling her hair out going, what? Are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, look, cause if, if they win, they're going to a final for the first time since 66. We should reflect that. So we'll be here um, looking ahead to what would be the biggest day of all of our lives. Uh, if not, and England have lost to the Danes, We'll probably preview the final on Friday because we'll spend at least 24 hours being very, very miserable. Right. Um, but, but, but yeah, and we, we will preview the final, but we won't be happy about it. Uh, fingers crossed. England are on the edge of history. Let's look forward, not back. Enjoy it. I truly hope if you're joining me on the television or you're listening on the radio to Jim and to Sol and to Stuart, we do it justice. Hold our hand, we'll hold yours. Because, look, this is, this is a big moment. It's a big moment for the country. It's a big moment for the team. It's a big moment for the manager. And I really, really hope it goes well. Good luck, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.